0: you're finding your place in genesis chapter number 39 i would just uh ask a word of grace from you as i endeavor to preach tonight i wasn't sure if i was going to make it here tonight actually uh with everything that went on this afternoon i'm suffering from something along the lines like vertigo i don't know what happened everything was just spinning earlier today so um i'm i'm here i'm well, and able to stand up. Brother Michael, if something happens, just be ready to preach. You know, if that way the work can continue to go forth. I don't think it will, but as long as I don't make any too, you know, too sudden movements or anything, we, we ought to be all right. I think it might be something going on in my inner ear, perhaps. But I do appreciate your prayers and your patience, as I'm not uh, quite operating at 100% uh, here tonight. But nevertheless, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 39 and see what God has for us here. And uh, really, I think, you know, the story is a familiar one, so we won't read the entire chapter, but I would encourage you to do so in your, in your time outside of our, our Bible study here together. I want to draw your attention uh, really down to uh, verse number 7, and it came to pass after these things that his, that's Joseph's master's wife, Potiphar's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said lie with me but he refused and said unto his master's wife behold my master wotteth not what is with me in the house and hath committed all the hath to my hand there is none greater in this house than I neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee because thou art his wife how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God If you drop down to verse number 12, things progress and they continue to intensify with her uh, seductions towards him. And in verse number 12, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And uh, we know how the story continues. There's false accusations. Look down at verse number uh, 20, if you would, and we see Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and put him into the prison. A place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to understand your word clearly tonight. I ask for divine strength and enablement. I pray for unction as your word goes forth. I pray that there would be nothing in me uh, in my weakness and my infirmity, to hinder your word from having free course. And I pray that you'll take the scriptures and do what I can't do as we meditate on them, as we ponder them. It always amazes me, Lord, how your Holy Spirit can lead us to places, even just reading verses, that uh, I don't necessarily have in my study, but you take it in the heart of your people, and and they glean things that I, I never could have presented to them. Lord, that's the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would do that tonight, that your word truly would have free course among us. That we would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, being conformed to His image. I pray this in His precious name. Amen. Amen. There's a man named Charles Durham. He was a pastor in Kansas. He uh, he wrote a book on temptation, and uh, uh, he called it "Help Struggling Help for Struggling Christians." With he opened that book with an interesting illustration. Here's this illustration talked about several, several hundred years ago there being on the island of Cape Hatteras off the shore of North Carolina, there were men whose business it was to get ships to run aground on the shoals just off the island. These men were called wreckers who made their living gathering up parts and cargo of, of all these ships that would be crashed with a lighted lantern fastened to the head of an old nag, that's a horse, the men of Nag's Head, that was the name of their village, uh, they walked up and down and back and forth. And so out at sea in the darkness of the mid-Atlantic night, ships were searching for passage past the islands. They would mistake that bobbing light for the stern of a, the stern light of a ship that they supposed had found safe passage. So then they would turn inland and they would run, uh, run aground on diamond shoals. And in the morning, the wreckers would come and gather the timber for new houses, Uh, they would get utensils for their kitchens, they'd get money for their purses, and it was a thriving business. In fact, even now, uh, at the time he was writing this, he says visitors to Nag's head will be shown old houses built and furnished with material taken from more than 2,300 ships that perished off this coast, either by accident or by treachery. So when people hear about Nag's Head, I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but an interesting story there with the history, it, it brings shock to us, does it not? Uh, and indignation. We think, how could people be uh, so you know, so uh, callous to, to treat other vessels this way? But I wonder, would they be far more shocked and indignant if they were to realize that we, too, are constantly faced and bombarded with even more malicious, spiritual records that would seek to uh, cause us to make a shipwreck of our faith. So much so that those are the words of the Apostle Paul. He himself was concerned that after he had preached to others he had a concern about uh, about being, making a shipwreck of his faith. And so none of us were exempt. And uh, Typically we hear talk about three primary records. Don't be the world, the flesh, and the devil. Well if we take those one by one the world is, is uh, the first one we might mention. and We're not talking about uh, the world as in like the globe, like I have a wonderful globe that's sitting on my bookshelf over there that showed up here one day. It's a very beautiful globe. We're not talking about the world in that sense as a globe. We're talking about the world system, the allurements uh, for us to, as followers of God to be drawn aside and to be lured and tempted astray. The next one is the flesh. And so John talks about this, and it goes all the way back to the garden, right? lust of the flesh, the uh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And So John encourages us to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And Paul encourages us, encourages us to uh, walk in the spirit and not after the flesh, not to give place to those things. And then he also admonishes us to not give place to the devil. And that's the last three of those records that we talk about, right? Just waiting to glean from our our, our shipwreck. And uh, we need we need to be aware of that. As we look at Joseph in his life here uh, tonight, we need to remember we had kind of a an abbreviation, didn't we, or a parenthetical, I should say, in the story of Joseph. We began back in chapter 37, considering this young man, he's 17 roughly, and uh, his, he's in charge of his brothers. He has to go get a report from their old dad for his brothers. And, He's got this coat of many colors, and his brothers can't stand him because of his dreams. And they call him this dreamer, and they're mocking Joseph. And Joseph is just trying to serve God. He's trying to do what his dad said, and he winds up uh, at the the violence of his brothers uh, wanting to kill him. But they don't succeed in that. They are thwarted in that plan, and they wind up throwing him in a pit until, lo and behold, providentially, by the way, you have some Midianite merchant men coming through the area just in time to uh, to be there for the brothers then to agree that let's sell Joseph to these uh, Ishmaelites, let's sell him to these traders and then uh, we can make some money off the deal and we don't have to have his blood on our hands and then we don't have to worry about it we don't have to worry about this dreamer anymore so that was good to them in their eyes and so they followed through with the business transaction and sat down and had a meal and didn't even think twice about it anymore well Genesis 38 we picked up the story uh, of Judah and Tamar and we Spent some time last time together looking at at where this belongs. And I'm convinced more and more that if if we don't have Genesis 38, we don't have the whole picture. Because Genesis 37 introduces us to Joseph and we find out he gets sold. He's on his way down to Egypt now back at the ranch. Remember those shows in in, in the days gone by that they used to say, meanwhile, back at the ranch. Well, let's head back to the ranch and that's where we see Judah getting away from the family, we talked about that, and he winds up up getting married to a Canaanite woman who later on dies, and after she dies, uh, he's not done the right thing by his daughter-in-law according to the law of the day, and so she takes matters into her own hand. We have the story of Tamar. Now, I want you to notice, I bring that up, because in Genesis chapter number 38 and chapter 39, we have back-to-back accounts of someone being uh, seduced by a woman. And so these two accounts stand in contrast to one another. So think with me, what was Judah's response to his seduction of Tamar? Uh, Did he come out of that unscathed? No, he did not. What about Joseph and his seduction by Potiphar's wife? Did he come out of that unscathed? Well, it depends on how you define unscathed. Uh, Unscathed in God's eyes, absolutely. Because he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So you see the contrast in how Joseph is is being pictured uh, in direct contrast to Judah in uh, chapter 38 and chapter 39. You'd miss all that that if you didn't have chapter 38. So don't let it throw you off. It kind of does that. If you're reading through Genesis, you come to chapter 38 and you're kind of scratching your head like, what is this doing here? I'm not real sure. Where does this fit into the story of Joseph? It fits. It fits, and it's right where the Holy Spirit wanted it to be. And uh, we can learn so much from it as we look at the life of Joseph. Really, um, there's a symmetry to this passage that would allow us to cover it in two in two main areas. And so, I'd like to do that with you tonight. If we won't have a full three points in a poem. Uh, we might have some poems thrown in there somewhere along the way if I can get to it in my notes, but uh, that may not happen. But if you think about the symmetry of the passage. As uh, we read it, I did not cover the very first portion. So let's go back and look at verse number 1. It says Joseph was brought down to Egypt, to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh. All right, let's pick up the the gap here, and let's go to chapter 37 and verse number 36. It says, And the Midianites sold him unto Egypt, unto Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh, captain of the guard. Note those words. It's almost identical. In chapter 39 and verse number 1, we're introduced to this man, Potiphar, Notice his name is given here in these beginning verses, but his name is not mentioned elsewhere after this. Uh, I think that's important because we have here a title given to us. This was a man of stature. This is a, a man who is a certain man. He is an officer to Pharaoh. He is a man with credentials, and this is a respectable man in uh, in Pharaoh's, in Pharaoh's uh, regime there. And so he, uh, I I don't know, I've I've read commentaries that put him in the military. I think that's how J. Bernard McGee takes it. I don't disagree with that necessarily, but uh, I see him as being over the captain of the guard, whether that's a militaristic uh, type of guard that he's over or whether it's a, a ward and he is actually over the prison. I kind of almost lean that way because if you look at Chapter 40 and you do a study on this term, the, the captain of the guard, look at where that appears. The captain of the guard is going to show up again uh, here in the prison. So I tend to lean towards, uh, he is over over this military, military prison of Pharaoh. Remember, if we read the end, and remember the verse that we read, it says, and the keeper of the prison, uh, let's see, verse 20, uh, where was it, 20... Verse number 20, Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and put him into the prison, a place where, who, the king's prisoners were bound. This isn't just any old run-of-the-mill dungeon. It is a dungeon, don't mistake what I'm saying, because uh, if you read the Psalms and compare that, it says they bound him in fetters and in irons, so don't think that they were nice to Joseph when they put him in there in any stretch of the imagination, but this is not uh, not the run-of-the-mill place where you put the peasants and all that. This is the king's prisoners. So that tells me a little bit of how to see what's going on here in a greater way, I believe. I want you to note this phrase as well in verse number 2. This is the first time that you'll see this phrase. There are four, four instances of this direct phrase, eight uses of this name altogether in chapter 39. And after chapter 39, you'll only find this name used one other time all the way to chapter 50, I believe to the end of the book and that was interesting to me in this chapter where we're told about joseph going down and down and down not of his own doing mind you it's by false accusations but god is getting him to a place where there's nowhere to go but up and he's also uh, doing things by divine providence you see this phrase here the lord was with joseph the lord was with joseph so if you want to see something that's emphasized in this chapter, I think we and you know, other preachers that have preached on this in days gone by, nailed it on the head. They see the emphasis on the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And the application for us is, friend, whatever you're going through, remember if you're serving God, the Lord is with you, and that makes all the difference. It really does. And that's what's going to make the difference for Joseph as he is under Potiphar, and then he's accused and put into the prison. Now he's under the prisoner. Uh, The prison ward, and he again prospers because, mark it down, not because he worked hard. Although working hard is good, isn't it? We need hard workers today. But Joseph, I'm sorry, this is not something that Joseph is going to work himself out of. He's not going to be able to do it by toil and sweat. This is not something that he can just pull himself up by his bootstraps and everything's going to be okay. He's still in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and everything... That he touched prospered and others benefited from it. Why? Because the Lord was with Joseph. So you see that phrase, the Lord was with Joseph four times. And you see the name of Jehovah uh, eight times in chapter 39. And then you don't see it anymore until Jacob mentions it in his prophecy in chapter 49. That's the only other time, the name of Jehovah. Notice I didn't say God because we know know, Joseph is going to point out, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. But the name itself, Jehovah, is not going to appear anymore in the rest of the book up until, until Jacob. So as we look at the symmetry, the Lord was with Joseph when he was under Potiphar. The Lord was with Joseph when he was in the, in the prison. So that's really our first idea. I want you to notice the success of Joseph or the prosperity of Joseph or however you want to, however you want to hang on to that and remember it. And put that in contrast to the seduction of Joseph by Potiphar's wife because that's really the two main elements. But uh, the focus, I believe, is on how Joseph deals with this temptation by Potiphar's wife because that's sandwiched right in between these two elements of prosperity. Are you with me? Do you see the symmetry? Prosperity under Potiphar, prosperity in the prison. Sandwiched right in between that is how he dealt with the temptation from Potiphar's wife. And so as we think about Joseph himself, uh, it's been balked at by some writers that you he really shouldn't consider him a type because it's not mentioned anywhere that he's a type. If you want a good resource that'll show you how we can make a type out of Joseph and do it in a way that I think honors God, I would point you to Baxter's Explore the Book. He does a good job in that. He calls, he, he calls attention to the fact that Uh, You can't study the life of Joseph and not make some certain connections between Joseph and Jesus. Now, Joseph is not Jesus, but is he a picture of Jesus? I believe he is. Uh, He's the beloved son, uh, Baxter pointed out. When you look at at chapter 37, you see how he was favored by Jacob. And then we think about Jesus Christ, the the only begotten son of his father. He's truly the beloved son. He's preeminent in the love of his father. Uh, He's preeminent in filial honor. He's preeminent in divine purposes. He's preeminent as the father's messenger. That's a good summary. As uh, Joseph being a picture of Jesus Christ. Not only is he the beloved son. Baxter pointed out too that he's the rejected servant. Remember his brothers rejected him. And Jesus Christ came unto his own and his own received him not. Joseph was hated. Joseph was sold. Joseph was suffering. Joseph in the end uh, in intent and in figure. Joseph was dead to his father. For all intents and purposes. Jacob thought Joseph was dead. So we see some parallel there. Our Lord was hated. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver. He suffered. Oh, how did our Savior suffer? And he died and rose again. He literally died and then three days later rose from the grave. But that's not where Baxter stops. He points him out as being the, the, uh, the beloved son, the rejected servant, but then also the exalted Savior. Is not Joseph the exalted savior of his family and really the world of that day as uh, he comes out of it? In the end, he's exalted as the wisdom and power of God to salvation, Baxter said. He's exalted uh, uh, to the right hand of the throne, the right hand of Pharaoh. He's exalted among his own brethren. He's exalted to everlasting preeminence. We still talk about him today. He's separate from his brethren. So I think there's good precedent for seeing Jesus life of joseph so let's not miss that through modernistic uh, the modernistic lens of liberal scholars who would balk at that i think there's good precedent for it as we think about joseph here and his prosperity we've pointed out the fact that he is prospering in potiphar's house who is it that prospers joseph the lord prospers joseph what does that do in Potiphar's eyes? It causes Potiphar to say, I'm going to put everything in his keeping because it's all turned into gold. And Potiphar's a wise man to see that God's hand is on this man. So he commits everything to Joseph and, and nothing is withheld. Even Joseph said nothing's withheld except for his wife. Joseph knew that was a, a sacred relationship. He believed in the sanctity of marriage. You can see that in this passage. The sanctity of marriage goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. One man, one woman, one lifetime. That was God's plan in the beginning and uh, let not man put asunder what God has joined together that's that's the ideal now we live in a broken world, we live in a fallen world I understand that, not everyone can make it through that unscathed and I want to tell you there's grace there is grace, but I'll tell you uh, we're not talking about a graceful situation with a woman like Potiphar's wife no, this is a woman who's bent on lust and she is, she is a, a messed up woman and it, isn't it amazing that if you look at this parallel in the Egyptian time period. How many thousands and thousands of years ago is this? And yet it reads like yesterday's Jerry Springer. Have we changed? It reads like last year's or the year before's Me Too movement. No, I want to be careful here because I know there are legitimate, uh, legitimate concerns with anyone who has done wrong, and I am no, in no way am I justifying the sins of. Of sinners who do wicked, immoral things. But if you keep your nose clean like Joseph, then it is you know part of that Me Too that's just all accusation, and there was no truth to the report. That you're looking at the Me Too Egypt movement here with Potiphar's wife, in a sense. And again, I want to be kind because there are legitimate cases that have been proven that people have done wicked, heinous things, and they need to. That justice needs to be served for that, but. Look at Joseph now. Look at the other side of that. When false accusations fly and there's no truth and there's no validity to it, it can't be proved. What's Joseph going to be able to do? He has no due process in the Egyptian law. He's just a slave. He was bought by Potiphar. You think he's going to be able to make some appeal to a higher court? No. It's Potiphar's wife's word, and that's that's period. That settles it. And can I tell you, it's, it's sad, but as a pastor, I've heard the horror stories. And you have to if you've watched anything like 2020 before. You've heard the horror stories. Things get covered up. I mean, even in the headlines recently, we heard all this mess about the Roman Catholic Church and all the cover-up with the homosexuality and the pedophilia and all of that stuff. It just makes you want to vomit. And it just turns your stomach. And, I, and I, that's how God feels about it, by the way. And as we think about this, they are just wicked, wicked people, well, Potiphar's wife, if you try to wrap your mind around it, the, the way that the translation is rendered here, we're told that Potiphar is an officer of Pharaoh. The word officer is an interesting word to translate, that's a good translation, and also it tells us he's the captain of the guard, we need that information. But when you do a word study, and you look up the word that's translated officer, uh, you'll also see it rendered as chamberlain. You'll also see it translated as eunuch. Now, I don't know about the the, the policies and the procedures of how a person becomes a eunuch in the days of Egypt, but uh, I know that Daniel was a eunuch and his three friends had to be eunuchs because they served under, under Cyrus and they served under the higher ups. Many kings in this day would require that their higher officers uh, take that oath and take that vow and become a eunuch so that there was no threat and no possibility, they would be loyal to the king, you know, regardless. And there would be no infidelity on their part. So whether he's a eunuch in that sense or not, I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe you can ask Joseph someday. <laughs> he might be able to tell you the finer details of all of that. Maybe not. Maybe, you might have to ask God. Who knows? But regardless, that's the word. It's translated eunuch. So if that's the case, now let's just follow this through. Now you have this woman who's married to this man who's a eunuch. Does that not kind of put her in a position to be given to the lust of her heart to want to look for somebody like Joseph? Not justifying it because it's, it's wrong no matter how you look at it. But there again, you know, other commentators have mentioned Potiphar's probably very old and she's probably very young, probably, you know, probably, probably, probably. <laughs> Just let the text read what the text says. And the Bible shows you that here's a woman who is bent on Joseph. If she's been this way towards Joseph, some commentators, I think it might have been weird even assumed that this wouldn't be the first time that she'd do something like this. And so this probably isn't the first time that she's gone after somebody. But uh, this is the first time it stood out to her like this because of the rejection she's going to face from Joseph. Now, Joseph's in, in a tight spot. The Lord has prospered him. Everything's going well. And if he's going to stay in, in good with Potiphar, then wouldn't it make sense that he respects and honors Potiphar's wife? And now he's just trying to do his business. And uh, that's what the text says. You look at it, it says that in the passing of time, he came in to do his business. That's when he came to do his work, his, his daily tasks, the things that were commissioned to him. His mission that he was on, and in the middle of that, here she comes, and she's already been working on him day after day. In the beginning, uh, we see that she comes to Joseph, and uh, he's a trusted servant of Potiphar. He's a, well, not a servant. He's a slave in that sense. And so she sees him, that he is goodly, and he's a, he's a, a young man to be envied in a lot of ways because God's prospering him, and he's, he's got a certain wisdom about him. And she just begins to be drawn to him. Maybe Potiphar's away and, and doing things for Pharaoh or having to take care of work. And, and now she's here and, and she's dwelling on this. Well, Joseph has to resist her the first time. And then there's a second time as well that he has to resist. The first time he resists her with words. And she comes to him and, and uh, you know makes her proposal. And he lets her know, just square up. We're not going to do this because uh, number one you're married to Potiphar number two he's my boss and I'm loyal to him and I'm going to do what he's commissioned me to do and thirdly how can I do this and sin against God and he has a respect and reverence and walk with God that has kept him out of this temptation and friend when you're close to the Lord like that that's some of the best ammunition you have against sinning against the Lord and uh, let's note that Let's, let's take that to heart Because if we'll do what God wants us to do Think about it, God's going to give you something to do And you're going to serve Him And put your hand to that plow And if we're following Jesus The devil's going to lure us uh, Peter warns us, be sober, be vigilant Your adversary as the devil uh, Roaring lion As the devil as a roaring lion Walketh about seeking whom he may devour And so we need that sobriety We need that vigilance best way to do that is to stay so close to Jesus that you know you have the far look you look to the to the beam of seat and you say what is my my Jesus gonna say in the end whether it's sexual sin or some other temptation that comes your way notice also the devil knows right where to hit us because Joseph now is in some some uh, aspects of success in his life everything's going well and success has done more people in than, than, uh, than not having success How many have gotten success too early? I think it was Dr. Uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones that mentioned that over and over again when he used to preach uh, from his pulpit. He would talk about success coming to people too early and how that's such a detriment. Well, Joseph overcame it. It didn't go to his head. He's here, and Potiphar's wife comes, and he's able to withstand her with his words. So she doesn't quit. She can't get him with just a full frontal assault, okay, that didn't work, So what's she going to do? Well, the passage tells us how she just tried to wear him down and just seduce him and and lure him. Uh, The wording is day by day, day in and day out, day after day. Uh, If you look at verse number 10, it came to pass after he says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? She spake to Joseph day by day, day by day, it wasn't a day that passed that she didn't try to seize her clutches on him. Every day, she's going to try to lure him and seduce him and wear him down. And um, it wasn't a Hitler that said, if you're going to tell a lie, make it big, and just keep telling it over and over and over until people begin to finally believe it. Well, she's working on Joseph here. It's not going to get through, though. It's not going to get through. And, but isn't this, isn't this interesting? pattern that we can see today. Things that Christians will tolerate and view today. And yes, I've used that word tolerate. I said it. There are certain things as a believer in the Word of God that, friend, you cannot tolerate. You just simply can't and not be. Not be where God wants you to be in the Bible. You can't tolerate sin. You You can't do these things. And so that's a big word today isn't it? Toleration. Who's really the intolerant ones? Well, we won't go there. That's a whole other message for another time. But the toleration we have—I wonder if there aren't things that we give, maybe just a turn a turn a deaf ear to, or or kind of wink at today that five years ago, ten years ago, thirty years ago, fifty years ago, it would have been unheard of. Unheard of. See, this is the wearing down process that happens. For instance, let's uh, let's talk about TV. You know, you see TV and they barrage you with all these commercials. And the first time you see one of these commercials is promoting an agenda that we might not agree with and that the Bible doesn't endorse and God's against, you see these commercials that come up. It's an affront when you first see it, right? And it kind of takes you back and you go, what in the world are they shoving that in my face for? Me? I don't want to see that. I can't pick which commercials they put on there because advertisers you paying to put those things out there i get that part of it. But then the next time you see that same commercial, are you as appalled? Are you as uh, taken aback as the first time? I submit to you, probably you're not because you're being desensitized. You're being desensitized, and it's all part of the plan. It's all part of the program. So she's wearing Joseph down day by day, and guess what? It's not going to work. But Joseph maybe should have taken some courses in biblical counseling. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out here by way of application because um, some of the things that I was encouraged to do before I ever even went, in, went into the ministry. Uh, I, I learned from great men who have gone on before that sadly, you know, these things have to be done preemptively. Uh, for instance, if you go next door, there's a glass window on the door for a reason, and there's a blind that can be opened. And so when I'm here doing things through the week, I make sure that if I'm ever in a position where that needs to be open and the blinds are exposed and everybody can see right in. Uh, that's why that's there, because of circumstances just like this. And sadly, with biblical counseling, that's of vital, vital importance to make sure that nothing can ever be said that will stick. It's not going to stick eventually because God's going to get Joseph out of prison, but it's going to stick for a little while. Potiphar's going to have to do something about it. So I think you're with me, and you understand where we're going with that. The other thing that uh, you know I learned is when you look in the offices and things, position desks and things, you want to make sure you have screens to where people can always have visibility. If you have computers in your house, uh, one thing that I would recommend, especially if you have little ones and children, keep that thing out in the living room or the kitchen area. No computers allowed in private bedrooms and that kind of stuff for for, uh, little ones especially. And so those are just things that we do to take precaution, right? Why? Well, let's read and see exactly why we take precaution. Because it doesn't matter if you do it or not. If someone says you do, then you've got a problem. And uh, you'll have to work through it. So she speaks day by day. He hearkened not unto her to lie, watch this now, by her or to be with her. Now she is, she is a woman of prominence. She is Potiphar's wife. He's an officer of Pharaoh. So Joseph's not even given her the time of day to even go and be with her. So I think she's getting a little muffled at this because how dare this slave, this Hebrew slave, how dare he treat me like this? He's not going to get away with that. So she's still lusting after him. And in verse number 11, it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business and there was none of the men of the house there within. Hey, you still got to do work. Work's got to get done. Maybe. This was part of Potiphar's wife's plan. Maybe she sent the, the servants, the rest of the servants of the house out just far enough to where they wouldn't know that Joseph was in there with her alone, but they'd be close enough within earshot that as soon as she needed to show him his code, they're close enough to call. Uh, interesting how that worked out. But she caught him by his garment. She caught him. He's going in to do his business. Here she comes. She catches him by his garment. Saying lie with me, and he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. That was the right thing to, ju- to do, Joseph. I think it was uh, Ron Hamilton, the Pirate. He does that song. Put on your running shoes, Nate. Put on your running shoes. That's a good reminder. Uh, so sometimes people would call this cowardice. Is Joseph being a coward? No, this is courage. It took courage for Joseph to do this. And he got him out. He said, this isn't the place to be. He did leave his coat behind, though. Notice that. Chapter 37, remember his garment came into play there with deception. And now in this chapter also his garment is going to be used to deceive as well. His brothers deceived his father with a coat of many colors dipped in blood. And Jacob came to the conclusion, erroneously, that Joseph was dead. Here Potiphar's wife is going to have his garment... And he, she's going to make two accusations. The first is going to be to the to the household when they come back and they're they're close enough to do that. They get back with an earshot. She shows them, I've got proof. Now, this might have been preemptive on her part because Joseph got out and she's the one that's been making all the advances. Maybe she's thought, I've got to get to Potiphar before he does because she's good at covering up things. Who knows? She's probably a master at covering up things. And, boy, when we're in in a state of affairs like that, it's easy for us to, to work things around and cover things up and we become masters of that like Potiphar's wife that's a dangerous place to be so she preemptively you know uh, gets the household to look and see and, and she gives the accusation that he was going to do do something terrible to her that he never would have done she caught him by his garment verse 12 verse 13 when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand she fled and was fled forth. She called unto the men of her house, close enough within her shot, and spake unto them, saying, "See, see." Well, oh, they've already been talking, haven't they? I told you. Look what my husband did. I think there's some marital problems between God and his wife here that co- that become exposed. This this is something that a wife ought never, or a husband ought never allow to come to the place in their marriage. Something has happened and that that love maybe that was once there is no longer there and now Potiphar's wife says look what my husband did she brought this Hebrew in here to mock us. The word mock is interesting by the way it's the same word translated when uh, Isaac got in trouble back in chapter 26 with Rebekah, do you remember that? Isaac and Rebekah, it was said that they were seen of Imalek that whole story when they, when Isaac got in trouble trying to lie like Dad did like, like old Abraham he learned it from him and so uh, Abimelech saw Isaac and, and Rebecca sporting that's the same word that's translated sent to mock so uh, it's also translated laughter the root word is where we get Isaac from his name means laughter right uh, so uh, it doesn't always have sexual connotations but here I think it, it very well could. Uh, in that sense, but context will determine it. This is a sexual context, so I wouldn't I wouldn't balk against seeing a a um, you know a caressing or a physical. Issue. She's she's accusing him of of physically touching her in a way that he shouldn't, or something of that nature uh, like that. But mock is a good translation as well because it does bring forth the fact that she is accusing him of mocking the Egyptian people as a Hebrew. As a slave, how dare he? Doesn't this tie with the context too of her being in such prestige as Potiphar's wife and how dare he not even give me the time of day to be with me? He does I've asked him to lie by me. He won't, he won't even be with me. He won't even be in the same room perhaps with her. Well, <laughs> we know why. So she gives the rest of her story. He is brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in to lie with me and I cried with a loud voice. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Anyway, it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice, all that screaming I was doing. Strange, they could hear her call, but they couldn't hear her scream. I don't know. Well, I'm not an investigator, but says he got uh, left his garment with me and fled, and I just like this phrase maybe to underline it, got him out, got him out. She reported that part accurately. There's always a little truth in it somewhere, isn't there? She laid up his garment by her. She's hanging on to the evidence. She puts it in the evidence locker until his Lord, that's Adonai, Adonai, uh, the master Potiphar, comes home. At uh, end of the day, he pulls up and we you know the story here unfolds. She spake unto him according to these words, the Hebrew servant, which thou hast brought unto us. That reminded me of Adam in the garden. Adam, wherefore art thou? Oh, the woman that you gave me, Lord, the Hebrew that you brought, Potiphar, ooh, it's always somebody else's fault, isn't it? Which thou hast brought and just came in unto me to mock me. I think her pride was wounded. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried, Liar, he left his garment with me and fled out came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant unto me, that his wrath was kindled. Now, notice, it does not say anything beyond that. It just says his wrath was kindled. He got angry. I'm not sure if I can pinpoint exactly who he was angry at. I submit to you, I don't think he was as angry at Joseph as what we might think. Why do I say that? Because the typical punishment for a Hebrew slave, especially a foreign slave, would be execution. He'd be put to death. That's capital punishment for a, a crime like this. And what happens to Joseph? He gets locked up in the in the king's in the king's prison. Not not the servant's prison, not the slave's prison. He's put in the place where the king's prison. In that very place, mind you, God is going to use this me too. He's going to use this false accusation to put Joseph right exactly where he's going to meet guess who? Pharaoh's butler and Pharaoh's baker and there's also a theme of dreams remember the two dreams that Joseph had back in 37 the two dreams that will come to the, through the butler and the baker one will keep his head, the other won't the two dreams that Pharaoh's going to have you see that all overlapping throughout the story, it's just beautiful how Moses has put all this together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and so here this is providence, but it says his wrath was kindled, I might suppose, and this is just supposition I might suppose he was pretty mad at his wife for putting him in a pickle like this, now he has to do something about Joseph, and Joseph has won his trust, Joseph has been a man of integrity And, and so, I don't know I don't know exactly which side I would fall down on if it came down to having to be dogmatic about it but I would Probably lean towards saying I think he was upset for a good reason because now he's got to do something with Joseph and he didn't really want to have to do that. So Joseph's master took him. Those are almost kind words, aren't they? Took him and put him into the prison. Not really. A place where the king's prisoners were bound and he was there in the prison. But, back that whole thought we started with, the prosperity of Joseph is seen again. He prospers under the pot He resists the temptation of Potiphar's wife and maintains his integrity before God. He lost respect in the eyes of men, but he kept respect in the eyes of God. And he said, I'd obey God rather than man in that regard. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm going to serve God. And then God comes and visits him in the prison. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him him mercy. This is the loving kindness of God. This is, this is the infinite mercy of our God. This is the mercy that we come through. The blood of Jesus Christ unto the throne of grace. It's mercy. And gave him favor. That's grace. That's pain. Uh, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So he had favor in Potiphar's eyes, and now he's got favor, same words, in the keeper of the prison. <coughs> And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to any, excuse me, anything that was under his hand, because you he didn't hear it the three other times. As has been said, the Lord was with him, and that which he did, who made it to prosper? Was it Joseph's sweat? Was it his toil? Was it all his hard work? No, friend, the only way we're going to prosper, the only way we're going to find good success, as Joshua 1 tells us, is when the Lord makes it to prosper. Then it will break through. The word success there and prosperity has the idea of breaking through where there seems to be no way. It should be working. So if you want to see areas in your life where God's showing up, don't always count the numbers. Because God's prosperity might not always come by the way of, of, of a big bank account or or you know full pews or different things of that nature as a as a pastor, you know, I have to wrestle with that sometimes. Why don't we have more people come to our church? Well, I think there's a lot of variable reasons, the day in which we live factoring into that. But can I look at Broomfield Baptist Church and see God's prosperity on what we've done here? If I were to say no, I'd be lying. To go back to two thousand ten when when we chartered this church and and set sail on this vessel, I've seen God part areas and move things out of the way that otherwise should have never happened. And God has prospered. Do I want to see more people come in? Absolutely. But think about it. We've been here since 2010, preaching the unadulterated Word of God in all of its truth, and all of its veracity, in, in, in all, of its, all of its power and might. And I just wish more people were hungry for it. And wanted what you are here tonight to enjoy with me, and may we pray for the people of Brookfield and the surrounding areas that they would get hungry once again to get away from all of the entertainment and all of the all of the seeming prosperity that looks successful in men's eyes. But in the end, I wonder how much will wind up being wood and stubble. So you know, let's follow the pattern of Joseph, and no matter if we're if it's just us and the Lord, and we're the only ones that know, at least we've got integrity with the Lord, and we're our hand in the plow in faith knowing that one day he's going to use what we're doing to save many people alive not just with physical life, but the goal is to save many people alive with eternal life, and if we get to heaven one day and find out that 50 years from now somebody got saved because somebody else went to Broomfield Baptist Church and told them about Jesus, hey there's going to be rejoicing in that let's not negate the prosperity of the Lord, he will take his word and break rocks asunder Maybe things that happen through what we do here that we never even get to hear or see, and so Joseph couldn't see all that in the prison, but God was moving, everybody could see it on him. So let's just pray that, that those would recognize what, what God's doing in our midst. Story the story of, of Potiphar's wife and Joseph and his prosperity here is an amazing story, and many commentators. Try to draw an inference between an Egyptian story about two brothers. I don't think there's too much of a connection there. If anything, the Egyptian story plagiarized the Bible. But regardless, that's my own humble opinion. Temptation. What are we going to do with it? Let's remember, it comes when we least expect it, and God is the one that we account to above all. Let's stay close to Him, and no matter what comes out of it, let's keep trusting the Lord. May he prosper what we we'll put our hand to, that his word can go.